Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. For what you're doing, we thank you, God, for your goodness in our lives and your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are teaching us, instructing us in righteousness, Lord. Father, we pray tonight that you would be with us, God, that you would guide us in this study, Father, that you would help us to see, open our hearts and our minds and our spiritual eyes to see your truth. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to real quickly before we get started, just welcome everybody that's here in person. We are very glad that you're here. It's always a privilege to have good folks in the room, and I also appreciate everybody that's joining us online today, and uh, we welcome you, amen, and we're glad for you. Um, This evening, um, before we start, I want to kind of just put out a couple, I always, I call it disclaimers, but uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but I want to make a few statements before we get started. First of all, I, I want to, it became abundantly clear this week as I was studying this subject, the, particularly the subject that we're going to deal with tonight, um, it became abundantly clear as to how much I don't know. <laughs> Amen. And uh, it's, it's an amazing thing, though. It's, uh, I, am, I am just finding that the study and diving deep into the, uh, the presence of God and into the Word of God in this fashion has been so rich for me. So, First of all, I, like I say, I want to make the statement known that I don't uh, profess to be any kind of expert in this area, and I am certain that there are many, many things that uh, could be added to this study that we probably haven't or won't, um, just because uh, the, the subject matter is so vast. The second thing uh, that I want to say is one of the things that I'm discovering about the Word of God and about, especially about the subjects that we're studying, is a lot of these are what I call nuanced. And what that means is, is that they are, um, the, the, the thing of one size fits all, it doesn't work here. Um, we know for a fact that God is a relational God, Amen. And so just as every relationship you have, so if you have children and you have multiple children, you know that your relationship with each child is different. You know, to say that you have a favorite child, it's not true. You favor both of them or all three or all five or whatever it is, you favor all of them and uh, in their own way. You love them all. And so it's, it's, it's not that there is one size, it's a relationship, and it's for each person. And so as we come into relationship with God, oftentimes the truth of His Word is nuanced not only by our relationship but by the circumstances that we are living in. One of the things that we have to remember is the Bible says that the Word of God is alive. It's living. It's a living, breathing thing. And so what that means is is that it meets the need where the need is. Amen? And so it meets us. And it's, you know, the Bible is the only book that you can read to a first grader, literally, a child that's in the first grade, and you can read it to the deepest, most experienced theologian on the planet, and it will speak to both of them. 
It's the only book. You can read the same verse, and that verse will reach the first grader, and the verse will reach the greatest theologian on the planet. And so we have to understand those things. And I think the reason that I bring this out and the reason that, that I say these things before we get into this subject is because that if we approach this as this is looking for a formula or looking for one size fits all or a answer for all questions, I don't know that we're going to find it. We can say this, Jesus is the answer for all questions. That we can say with confidence. Um, beyond that, we're going to have to probably allow our relationship with God to navigate us through what we need. Can you say amen to that and where we're at? So with those thoughts in mind, I want to begin this second lesson on divine healing with the quote that I shared with you last week, and it comes from one of my favorite authors on the subject of healing, F.F. Bosworth, uh, and it has a lot to say if we'll listen to it. And Bosworth said in his book, Christ the Healer, he says, before anyone can have a steadfast faith for the healing of their body, they must rid themselves of all uncertainty concerning the will of God in the matter. Appropriating faith cannot go beyond our knowledge of the revealed will of God. Before attempting to exercise faith for healing, we need to know what the Bible plainly teaches. That is, it is just as much God's will to heal the body as it is to save the soul. And that's a, that's a pretty powerful statement, but I believe uh, that Scripture bears that out, and I believe it's true. So last week, we answered three questions that are commonly asked concerning healing. The first question was, is healing the will of God for today? The second question is, is it always God's will to heal? And the third, is healing a part of redemption? And the answer to all three is emphatically yes. So now that we have discovered that, I want to turn our attention to probably what is the most important factor in all of this, and that is faith. We have to understand this healing is a work of faith. We have to understand that. We have to come to that conclusion. In this subject, the subject of faith creates the greatest challenges and even the greatest stumbling blocks in receiving the healing that Jesus paid for on the cross. Now, I am convinced that once we get this revelation in our lives, once we really begin to put this inside, healing will become more of a common occurrence in our lives than the rarity reserved for special moments that we kind of see now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but I want healing to be common. I do not want it to be a rarity. I don't want it to be something that's reserved for special moments or seasons. I want healing to be a part of my daily walk with Him, not only healing my body, but having the ability to be the dispenser of that healing that God promises. Can you say amen? So with that thought in mind, let's look at our text. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 through 30, it says, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him and said, Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, see that no one knows it. Now, you may ask yourself, 
What is the question? Remember I told you in the first lesson that I was going to do this by answering questions. So what is the question that I'm trying to, to answer today? And here it is. How do we get healed? And the simple short answer is this. The same way we got saved. By grace, through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 9 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of your it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen. Your salvation came to you because someone first told you about the goodness and mercy of God. They told you and communicated to you that it was in fact the will of God that you would be saved. You heard the truth, you recognized your need, and you believed on him, and a measure of faith was given. You received what only he could give, and you were saved. So it is with healing. Just as salvation is a matter of faith, so is healing. Can you say amen to that? So far, so good? Okay, so point one, according to your faith. Of all of the great questions that were asked in the New Testament, there is not perhaps none greater than the one in, in our text that G was asked by Jesus, G or Jesus asked, he said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He said, am, am I able to do this? And this question draws our attention to something that must not be missed in our desire to see healing and, and our desire to be healed. After these blind men told Jesus they believed he could give them their sight, his response was no accident. It was no accident, nor was it a simple acknowledgement of their belief. Jesus was giving them and everyone who was watching this miracle and you and I the key to healing. While Christ, while, while uh, uh, with Christ there is no doubt that God's ability is there to heal wherever he is present. We don't doubt his ability, but faith must be operative if we are to receive the manifestation of his promise to be healed. So one man said this about the story. It can all boil down to one statement. I am able according to your faith. That's the whole point. I am able according to your faith. Jesus frequently told people that it was their faith that brought them healing, deliverance, and forgiveness that they needed. Listen to these verses. In Mark chapter 5, verse 34, it says, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. In Luke chapter 17, verse 19, it says, And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Luke 18, 42, then Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has made you well. When Jesus said to these people, your faith has made you well, he was saying that their faith, their confidence in him had been the means of their restoration. The power of God was what affected the cure and his power was engaged 
by faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The power of God is what effected or brought about the cure, but it was their faith that engaged that power. And just as faith enabled them to receive healing, so healing was sometimes so healing is sometimes hindered by our lack of faith. Now let me say something before we go on because we're going to talk a lot about this. Because the question often is asked, why am I not healed? Why am I waiting? Why is this still lingering? What's happening? And I know that a lot of times we, and I'm going to talk about this in greater detail here in a few minutes, but we get to the point where we don't want to hear nothing about faith. But the reality is faith or no faith, faith or lack of faith, and we're going to talk about this. This is the issue, and it is the issue in the Word of God, and it is very clear in the Word of God. So we need to understand that. Listen to this story. Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there and he went and he, and when he had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us here? When did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief, okay? So what was hindering the miracle moving power of God, the miracle working power of God? Their unbelief. So far, so good? It hindered them. They, they were even offended the fact that Jesus would say, I'm the son of God. They knew him. They had brought him into a place of familiarity. They said, hey, isn't he the brother of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so? Wasn't he the carpenter? Didn't he do repairs on my dad's house? Didn't he just live down the block? Who does he think he is? Okay? That attitude can be very easily developed if we are not careful in how we approach God in this day and age. The Bible tells us that there is the need for the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about being afraid of God, but that we stand in awe of Him and that we do not make Him too familiar. Now, look it. There's a lot of people that over the years, they have banged on the idea about us calling God the Father, Daddy. Well, He's the one that gave Himself that title. He said we cry, Abba, Father, Abba meaning Daddy. Okay, that's not coming to God too familiar. That's coming to God in a point of intimacy. I'm talking about when we go, hey, God, give me high five. Hey, you all right? What up, bro? <laughs> Let's not minimize who he is. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the creator of heaven and earth and the universe. And he measures the universe in the palm of his hand. His love is unknowable and unsearchable. His knowledge is beyond anything that compares. Can you say amen? And he is awesome in every way. And at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Can you say amen? And so what we need to do is we need not to let our 
unbelief cause us to travel into a place of familiarity or into a place of familiarity cause us to be unbelieving. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You'll notice not much, um, you will not, uh, I should say it this way, you will not receive much from God if you look at things totally in the natural. This is one of those nuances that you've got to understand. Sometimes we have to look with spiritual eyes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We cannot just look at it in the natural. Once again, we're going to talk a little bit more about this as we go on. We cannot be offended by the Word of God or the methods that He uses. We, we are, I was just talking about that with uh, Johanna in the office. You know, there's a time when what we can do, we can see God calls us to be good stewards of His presence that we are to steward his presence. And to be quite honest with you, I'm not really sure what all that means. I know that means I'm a steward of something that is completely his, that I am to care for it as he would care for it. But he says to us, you're not going to manage me. And that's what a lot of times we end up wanting to do because we get offended or we get put off by his method. So most of us today, you think about how Jesus healed. He spit in dirt and rubbed it in the guy's eye. That wouldn't go over well. Jesus walks, think about it. Jesus walks in here. There's somebody here that has trouble with their eyes. And Jesus says, hey, yeah, let's get out of the building. Let's go out that back door. He bends over, gets a little bit of dirt, and pugh, And he, pugh. you're out of there. You're going, who does this guy think he is? Somewhere along the line, we cannot be offended at his method. We need to allow God to be God. And the problem is, is what we've done is because oftentimes, and, and I know this is going to sound a little hard, but please bear with me, because of the fact that we have not grown in spiritual discernment, it is hard for us to discern between what is truly God and what is just a human being. So what we do is rather than be safe than so we rather be safe than sorry, so we just take all of it and chalk it all up to human being. Thereby throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So what we need to do is be aware of not being offended by him or his methods or what's in his word. Jesus could not do many mighty works in his own hometown because of their unbelief. Um, the NIV says that he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. All they could see was the kid that grew up down the street, and in, instead of the anointed son of God that he was, he was God-made flesh right before their eyes, and they missed it. So look at Matthew chapter 17, verses 15 through 18. It says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers, suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. I'm going to stop right there and just pause for a minute. He's speaking to the disciples at this point. It's my belief. Okay? Now, if I looked at you, and you said, man, I've been praying for my mom and she ain't getting healed. And I went, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long do I put up with you? You're probably not a part of the church anymore. 
Hence my statement, we cannot be offended by his correction or his word. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from the very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, this mountain remove from here and to there, and it will move and nothing shall be impossible for you. Now, here's what I want you to see in this, in this story. Number one, the reason healing, what I want you to see in these stories, the reason healing didn't come is because of an issue of faith in both stories. In the other verses that we read, the reason the healing came was because Jesus commended their faith. So we can basically see that faith is an issue, right? Number two, both stories have a specific Greek word that is used to describe the condition of their faith. The phrase, lack of faith, or, O faithless generation, or because of your unbelief, all contain the same word that literally means this. It's a Greek word that means this. The trait of not trusting in, relying on something or a thing, especially used of not trusting in or relying on Jesus. It also carries with it the dynamic of being little or immature. It also has the idea of an unwillingness to acknowledge God and his promise because of skepticism. So here they are. This is what Jesus is saying. He's confronting both because of their unbelief in his hometown and, oh, faithless generation or your uh, unbelief. He said it didn't happen because of your unbelief. He was saying, look it, I perceive in me that you're not trusting, you're not relying on me, especially me, and your faith is little and immature, and there's an unwillingness to acknowledge me in it, and you've become skeptical. And I'm going to show you how this works. I'm going to take this on, so just hang on with me. Because this is how we get sometimes. We can get this way, and this is where we are unbelieving. Okay? In Mark chapter 9, in the, in Mark, the, in the Mark chapter 9 account of this story, um, uh, Mark gives us a little bit further. In Mark 9, 23, he says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. The word believe is the same Greek word that's found in Hebrews 11:1. 1, now faith is. And it's this, it, 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 this, this Greek word is also the same word that when Jesus responded to the Father, it, he says, I, I, he goes, I believe, but help my unbelief. So we have these two words, believe and unbelief. So we already know what this unbelief is. The word believe here is the word that's literally translated faith. It's a great study. I spent several hours Tuesday studying this. It's a great, great study in the Greek, a word study. It literally boils down to, it comes to a place where this word, in the way they used it in the first century Greek society, they used it as a guarantee in a contract. That's, it's, it, it's it, the word, the Greek word is actually, it's P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. The word unbelief is apistis, or anti it's, it really is an amazing thing. And so it's, they are literally opposites. 
And so what he's doing, he's, he's, the father cries out, Jesus is telling his disciples, this is what's going on, but the father cries out and says, I do believe, I want to trust in you, I want to rely on you, but help me with the littleness and the immaturity of my faith and my skepticism. He's probably the most honest person we've found yet. Okay? So what is the point of all of this? Faith is an issue. We need to develop faith. I think so often that we are so, so hypersensitive to not cast blame or condemnation on someone who is struggling to walk in faith that what we end up doing is we fail to challenge them to grow in faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus said the disciples could not heal the boy because they lacked faith. Now, I want you to notice something. He did not rebuke or admonish the boy or his father. He got after the disciples. He got after the ones that should have been able to walk this out. Can you say amen? amen. So often people are accused of their lack of faith without sensitivity. This is a problem. But I would recommend that before measuring someone else's faith, that we examine our own. It's too easy to pray for somebody and have them not get healed and then go, well, just believe God, you know, strengthen your faith. You need to say, I need to build my faith. I need to put this burden on me. Can you say amen? So it is a faith issue, but where do we place the burden? I think throughout Scripture that Scripture holds, this holds water, that I should think of others greater than myself, and I should be a servant to all. So I should not cast dispersion on someone else's faith, but I should say, okay, God, I need to go to the, I need to deal with this in me, what's going on. Does that make sense? But it is an issue of faith. So if you're, so I'm trying to make this a little practical because so many times we could take this and put it into the ethereal and theological. So like if we had a prayer line. So okay, everybody that wants to get prayed for, wants healing, come on up. My job is to walk in faith and not worry about yours. Your job is to walk in faith and not worry about mine. Even though I'm the one praying. This is what I think we come to find out. It is an issue of faith. And we're going to see that even more as we go on. We're going to see the depth of this as we take this a little bit further. I mean, okay. So what's the point of all of this? Faith is an issue. We need to develop faith. We're so hypersensitive. Okay, I'm just finding my place because my iPad shut off on me here. Faith is at the core of this issue. We are either healed or not healed because of faith or the lack of it. Can you say amen? amen? Now, I will say this. We are not going to cover this in this lesson. There are other things that can cause us not to receive faith or not to receive healing. But when you study those, you find out first what they do is affect your faith. Things like sin. So, Sometimes what can happen, and I'm not talking about the kind of sin. We, it's obvious. I, I think all of us are at a point where we could say that if somebody is walking in overt sin, they're, 
They're, they're actively stealing. They're actively lying. They're actively got moral problems and they're in drunkenness and all of that. We could all say there's some real compromise there. That, I think that's, that's a no-brainer. But I'm talking about sometimes we have those socially acceptable sins that we're not so easy to deal with. Things like unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, fear. Whatever is not of faith, the Bible said, is a sin. If we walk in fear, we're walking in something other than faith. Okay. And so obviously those things hinder us, but where do they hinder us at? They hinder us in our faith. There's another thing is, is, is uh, uh, misinformation. We either believe a lie or we believe some dynamic about the Word of God that's not true. And so we put our faith in wrong doctrine and it don't work. Or there's another thing, being weary, being tired. The Bible says this. It's an interesting scripture. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. He says, consider Jesus who endured such contradiction and for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and for the joy that was set before him, he did all of that, lest you go weary in your heart and faint. Somewhere along the line, there's a place that when we get out, when we get, so probably the best way to see this is when Peter was in the boat, Peter didn't just get out of the boat because he thought he had great faith to walk on water. He got out of the boat at the command of Jesus. The word of God became what he stood on. Are you, are you catching that? I, I don't have to go into that too deep. So he, he, he's standing on the word of God. He's not standing on water at this point. He's, his faith is standing upon the word of Jesus. Get out of the boat. But then he got his eyes on the natural, and he began to sink. The moment you get your eyes in the natural and off of Jesus, you go tired, and it affects your faith. That's, that's, that's a whole nother lesson for probably a whole nother series. <laughs> so what this has done for me, I wanted to share just for a moment what this has done for me. I, I'll admit that this was, like I said, this, I, I took a lot of time to put this together. But what it has done is it has given me a passion to go deeper. Because I'm hungry. Church, I want this. And Jesus said we can have it. Now, I don't think for a minute that this is about a works trip that the more I study, the more I do, the more I press in, that somehow I'm going to be paid or rewarded with some sort of supernatural event. But I know that my passion that takes me into a place where I hunger for Him and desire Him I will receive more of him. And where there's more of him, everything comes with him. And it becomes very easy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So now listen, this was a great concern for the disciples. I believe, just like us, they wanted to walk in the way that Jesus did. They wanted to do what he did. And no doubt it was a challenge for them. So they did what every one of us have done. Listen to Luke 17, 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. See, that is the, that is the mistake right there. That statement shows, shows me they did not understand what was going on. Listen to Jesus' response in verse 6. 
So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. It's the same statement as in Matthew 17. And what a statement that was. All we need is faith as a grain of mustard seed, and mountains will tremble as we approach. Are you hearing that? Think about what Jesus said. The least amount of faith that he could give was mightier than the largest of the devil's power. Like the story of David and Goliath, a mustard seed went to battle against a mountain and slew it. Are you hearing me? Did the disciples believe? Yes. They believed in Jesus. They believed his promises. They believed in divine healing, or they would have never held the healing meeting that day. They're not doing this because they don't believe. This is a key. Listen to the words that I'm speaking. They believed. They were believing, just like you and I have believed in healing services and in our church. And we've prayed and commanded, but nothing happens. What they needed, what we need, according to Jesus, was faith. Not a carload of it. Not as much as we could get, but just a little faith. As a grain of mustard seed that would be enough. That was, that was all that was necessary if faith is developed. The statement of little faith is not about size as it is about immaturity wasn't talking about the quantity, he was talking about the quality, the development of their faith. So where does this developed faith come from? Listen to Romans chapter 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes, faith grows, faith matures in us and through us as we, through the word of God, receive when we hear God's word, the Holy Spirit empowers it, and if we receive the truth, God's supernatural faith enters us. Are you hearing me? We come to God with faith that is lacking, weak and immature, because we have failed to receive from Him that which only He can provide. The revelation in all of this is that a formula or one-size-fits-all approach never works. The kind of faith that moves mountains is birthed, nurtured, and matures in relationship with Him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I love the fact that in that story where the disciples uh, were trying to cast out the demon of the boy that had epilepsy, Jesus at the end, the last verse in that story says, He goes, however... This kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, one would have to ask, what is the prayer and fasting all about? Is prayer and fasting all about twisting God's arm to make him do something? Is it that if I pray and fast, now God is obligated to do what I ask? No, prayer and fasting is about me putting my life in a position where I am now focused on my relationship with him. And it, he says, this kind, and I've heard many, many sermons on whether it was this kind of demon that came out or this kind of faith that was revealed, either one 
happens in relationship with God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Either one is the result of us going deeper with God. The problem is, church, is that we spend, and once again, please understand, I am not throwing condemnation. I am simply pointing out how we as human beings work. We will go about our workaday lives having very little to do with God in relationship, then come into crisis and hope that our faith is mature enough to have Him move in our lives. God, look at God does nothing out of need. He always responds to faith. You say, how do you know that? Because need is all over the world. And if need is what motivated God, He'd be moving in everything, but He's not. He's responding in faith. In fact, I'll take it a little further. He responds to the prayer of faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews chapter 11, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So our relationship with Jesus is dependent on faith, and our faith is dependent on our relationship with Him. Faith is what brings the things of God that He has provided for us uh, from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. Our faith is the victory that enables us to overcome the world. And everything the Lord does for us is accessed through faith. Yet there is so much confusion about faith today and what it truly is and how it works. It is like having a computer and not knowing its potential, but not having a clue, or knowing its potential, but not having a clue how to use it. I have to admit, church, I, I, you know, before I go on, I have to admit this has been so rich and so challenging for me. I mean, I, you guys know my pedigree. You know how long I've been saved and, you know, 40-plus years, all that, and on and on and on, all this stuff. And it just amazes me at how much now is being opened up to me. It just amazes me at, I don't know, I've often wondered, and, and, and I, I've told my wife, I'm, I'm done caring about why it didn't happen at 25 and why it's happening at 55. I am just glad it's not happening at 85. Amen. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad that he's showing me now because this is so rich. And what it's doing is it's, it's challenging me. I don't feel condemned. I feel challenged. I feel hungry to press into him. I, 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 that's, and I hope what you sense from this teaching is not a condemnation. I am not in any way looking at anyone that's struggling with an issue of healing and going, well, it's because of your lack of faith. You just need to get faith. Go believe God. Well, of course. And somebody ought to slap you if you say that. But what you need is to have faith. What you need is to strengthen your faith. What you need is to undergird and mature your faith. But the way we do that is not through calisthenics. We do that in relationship. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Charles Price, he, he wrote a book called The Real Faith for Healing. It's a phenomenal book. It's, it has stirred me. Um, uh, I, I've, I've, in, I, I've read probably five chapters three times. And I know that I'm on chapter 9. And so it has just gripped me. And he says this, Faith is the quality or the power by which things desired 
become the things possessed. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This, I'm, I'm answering the question, what is faith? And he says, that's the nearest to a definition of what faith is, even in the inspired word of God. He says, in spite of its potency, faith is an intangible commodity. You can't see it, you can't weigh it, you can't measure it. It's like trying to define energy in one comprehensive statement. We are told, he goes on to say, we are told that the atom is a world within itself and that the potential energy contained within its tiny universe is so great that it bewilders the mind. But attempt to define it and you will run into difficulties. He says faith is just like that. Rick Renner says this, he says, faith is a force that is forward-directed and aggressive, never passive or backward-reaching, but always reaching forward to obtain or achieve a specific target or goal. Scripture tells us that faith is a gift of God, and faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Whether it's a gift or a fruit, the source is the same. Faith comes from God. There is no other source of real faith, for it is the faith of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that of, not, of yourselves, for it is the gift of God. It's God's grace that saves us, but not his grace alone. If that were so, then everyone in the world would be saved because God's grace, the Bible says, has come to all men. We have to put faith in God's grace, but the faith that we use isn't our own human faith. The verse says that faith is a gift of God. Are you hearing that? Here's the amazing thing about God. There's one verse in the Old Testament, and I don't know where it is. He says, I will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You say, well, what does that mean? God God will require faith of us and then give us his own. So we can, and we can walk in obedience. That's the amazing thing about God. He will give it to us. See, there is human faith that's inherent with every human being. And there is supernatural faith that only comes through a relationship with him. Human faith can only believe what is seen, tasted, heard, smelled, or felt. It's limited to the five senses. Using natural human faith, we can sit in a chair that we've never sat in before and believe it will hold us up because we have empirical experience. So what is that? We actually have seen somebody sit in a chair and we ourselves have sat in one. So we understand the process. And it was using our five senses. We fly in an airplane. We don't fully understand how they work. I know that's true with me. Now, my dad was a pilot. He was a private pilot for about 22 years. I flew with him. He taught me how to land. First time we flew, he says, I'm going to teach you how to land. I said, why? He says, because if I die up here, you're going to have to get down. <laughs> Good plan. Thanks. Appreciate you thinking about me. I used to fly with him, and, and he would tell me stories, and he taught me a lot about flying, so I understand. So now when we travel anywhere and we go on an airplane, I always sit in, on the window seat behind the wing. 
And you say, why is that? Because I can watch what they're doing with the wing and tell you what's happening. So if all of a sudden something starts bouncing around and I look out the window and those flaps and the ailerons and all of that are starting to move around, I go, oh, something's up. Or we're just in turbulence. And so I can look. And so what's even greater is if there is, if there is a pilot on, you know, sometimes those airlines, they'll have a pilot just going to another city. I love it. I sit by them. Because then if it gets, if it gets dicey, I look at them. I, and I've sat right next to one one time, and I looked right at him. He goes, it ain't nothing. And it's like, thank you. That's good. He's a pilot. He's been here before. He knows what's going on. See, I don't know how that thing gets in the air. It doesn't look like it's going 135 miles an hour down the runway. Surely don't feel like it. But then all of a sudden, this multi-ton thing picks up in the air. And it gets higher and higher and higher. And I'm thinking, dear God, how does it? But I have a faith that it'll get there. Otherwise, it wouldn't have got on the plane. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we know it'll be okay. That takes human faith. And God's given that to us as well. Yet when it comes to God and to believing the things that we cannot see, how do you do that? How do you believe in what you cannot see? The answer is, you can't do it with human faith. You need supernatural faith. Are you hearing me? So listen to Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, you notice this theme is used a lot in Scripture? Be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Just by note, just by way of note, the word believe there in the Greek is the same word as faith in Hebrews 11.1 1, that says now faith. So he's not talking about a mere belief. So he says, he answered them, have faith in God. In most Bible translations, that's how it's translated. But it's literal translation. When you, when you look at how many know that when Greek is written, the words are not in the same order as English. So in the Greek, it literally says this. You have faith of God. Or have the faith of God. See, faith originates with God. And those who have real faith have his faith. Now, because we interpret it, have faith in God, we tend to believe it means that we are to have confidence in his ability to move a mountain. And you know what? There's some partial truth to that, but it's incomplete. So we say to ourselves, if I have enough faith, I can believe hard enough and get all doubt out of my heart, then God will move my mountain. I'm telling you, it's impossible and you are trying to do the impossible with human faith. It's your faith. Human faith will never be great enough, even if you struggled a million years. What a mistake it is to take our belief in God, our simple belief in God. And I'm going to clear this up. Just listen. Don't shut me off and call it faith. Many have struggled uselessly to believe for their healing because they have yet not discerned the difference between belief in the power of God to heal and the faith of God that brings victory. Are you hearing me? 
We have made faith a condition of the mind when it is a divinely imparted grace of the heart. Are you hearing me? Simply believing is not enough. You can believe a promise and at the same time not have enough faith to appropriate it. But we've tried to appropriate by belief, forgetting that belief is really a mental quality. Belief in the Bible is not the same as what? That's, this is the problem with English. We try to believe ourselves into an experience. I just got to believe harder. I got to believe, but it doesn't work. Real faith is spiritual, it's warm, it's vital, it lives and throbs, its power is irresistible, and when it's imparted to the heart by the Lord, things happen. Listen, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it's important to hear this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Word believe there, same word as faith. In your, where? Heart. It's not about mentally ascending to a promise. It's about a heartfelt belief that opens doors of communication between us and God, and faith is divinely imparted into us. See, for most of us, our concept of faith has only resulted in our struggle to believe. Are you hearing me? Notice in Mark 11, Jesus did not say, if you have the power to believe that God will remove the mountain, then he will, deal, deal, then he will do it. Neither did he say, if you can believe hard enough that it is done, then it'll be done. He says, have the faith of God. Walk in the impartation of all that he has through relationship. Now, in the second part of his statement, he does say, believe with the heart and have no doubts. That second part is impossible if you don't have the first part. We need to allow our lives to have the impartation of the faith of God. It takes God's faith to clean our, clear our human hearts from all anxieties, fears, and doubts. And you say, how does that happen? Once again, I will direct you back to the statement, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. Who is the Word of God? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, chapter 1 of John. And the Word dwelt among us, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's, let's change that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing Jesus. It's a fair statement, isn't it? What is that hearing? That is that impartation. Faith comes through hearing Jesus. It's an impartation. Are you seeing what I'm saying? See, when we hear God's word, the Holy Spirit empowers it, and if we receive the truth, God's supernatural faith enters it, and it does not leave us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. In most translations, it says faithfulness, but once again, doing the word study, I looked it up. 
That word is not faithful. The word is pistis, which is faith. And then if you go to the scripture that says it should be found in stewards, faithful men should be faithful to be stewards. The word faithful is a derivative of the word, meaning full of faith or being honorable or dependable. It's an amazing thing. The word is faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Faith becomes a permanent part of the born-again believer. We sometimes use the God kind of faith that presents, that's present in our spirit, and other times we don't. And it's the times that we use it that we see answer to prayer. The truth is, it's always present. There is no lack of faith with any true Christian. There's always just a lack of knowing and using what God has already given. Romans 4, 19 through 21 says, And be not weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Whose faith? God's faith giving glory to God to being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. That kind of faith, that confidence, that conviction, that persuasion comes in relationship with God. Abraham, the father of faith. Now we know he was human and he had struggle. We know that. But there was always this returning to God and relationship. 100 years old. Just, what he, just the fact that he lived 100 years with that promise is pretty amazing. I don't think he lived 100 years knowing the promise. He lived probably about 25. I think the promise came when he was about 75. Even if the promise at 70, that was already a reach. But God always, well, he goes, look, I'm going to really just show off here. I'm, you know, at 75, any 75-year-old could have a baby, and that's no big deal. Anybody here 75? Couple? When it, what would you do if God showed up in your room and said, you're going to have a baby this time next year? <laughs> the couple of you would be glad? Okay. Well, then, boy, I got that. That really got you stirred, didn't it? All of a sudden, there's this burberino. <laughs> See, this kind of faith that is demonstrated by Abraham comes by intimate, consistent relationship with the Father in heaven. This is how faith is developed and matured. Hebrews chapter 2, listen to it again. I'm gonna, this is the verse I quoted earlier. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I should say, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus. He begins it, and he ends it. He is the author and finisher of our faith. So, I know tonight that there are other things, and there are many, many facets to this truth, and there is no way that in one lesson or even one series that we could completely exhaust ourselves of the truth that's packed into this. But I guess the thing, the bottom line is here, I guess what I hope from this is that you go away from this and say, look, I really want to see God move. I want to see God move in me. I want to see healing in me. And I want to also be the dispenser of that healing. It is a promise. 
It is the nature of our God. It was paid for in full by Jesus at the cross. And it is, in fact, mine right now. So I want to be able to walk in the kind of faith that taps into that healing power on a regular basis. And so what I have found, what all of this did for me, and I know there's a lot of scripture and ins and outs, but what it did for me is it pushed me to say, God, I'm going to search this out and I'm going to find you. And I'm right now, what I'm, I'm setting myself to do is to prayerfully talk to him about this. I'm going to, I'm going to com- commune with him and to meditate on this and open myself up to his possibilities. Can you say amen? Real quick, a couple questions, and then we're going to let you go. If anybody has a question, yes, Bev. No, it was Peter's. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you didn't hear that, she said the, the man that was at Gate Beautiful that was crippled, Peter and John went to the temple, and he, they said, silver and gold, have, I, have we none? In the name of Jesus, stand and walk, and he got healed. It wasn't the man's faith. The man had no, really no faith. His expectation was money. That's what he had faith for, what he could see. But Peter says, I don't have none of that, but what I do have is this encounter with God that will blow your mind. Boom, and he got healed. Yep. Anybody else? One question. Anybody? Okay, well, what we're going to do is we're just going to close down at 7.30 and let you get out of here, and we love you, appreciate you. I hope I haven't thoroughly confused you. I hope this has been rich and encouraging and uh, stirring. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. God, we give you glory, we give you honor, and we thank you for all that you're doing. And we magnify you today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You have a great, great night. You bet. Yes. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.